You're listening to Funeral 614, where we explain the fun in funerals, factual, useful, and noteworthy information. I am your host, Lori Diaz, the Funeral Chick. And today's topic is extremely, I think, difficult, a difficult topic. I think it's a hard topic. It's a topic that's not often talked about in our community. Um, but when you look at uh, the alarming statistics across the country, um, of the people who are committing suicide, not committing, completing suicide. I want to get that correct. I think it's just something that we need to talk about because in our community, I think growing up, um, I was often told, oh, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. Um, but as I became a funeral director and just in the last 15 years, I can say that I have... Um, Uh, arrange services for families who um, have had a loved one to complete suicide. And I think the impact um, does affect our community. I think um, suicide affects your community. And I think that it is something that you need to talk about. And I looked um, up the statistics for Ohio and I think it said one person every five wait, how did I tell you what I five people every day, five people every day. Is that right, Miss Karen? Sounds she said it sounds low. So we're gonna we're gonna get that actual statistic. But I think I was on the um, Ohio Prevention website, and I think I was shocked, thinking to myself like, "Wow, I I never thought of it like that." And so today's topic, I really, um, I started thinking back when my daughter was at the University of Akron, and it was uh, schools getting ready to let out. And I remember her talking to her on the phone and she just didn't, she didn't sound like herself. And so I called her on the phone and we were talking. And by the time we finished talking, she was, she was bawling. And I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong? You're, you're away at school. You got the great roommate and everything is in my eyes. Everything's fine. What's, what's wrong? And so I have a friend who actually me and Adrian share friends. Um, she's a counselor. Her name is Stephanie. And I remember calling Stephanie saying, can you please talk to my baby? Mm-hmm. I, need, I need you to talk to her. Can you call her? Can you, can you talk to her? And I remember Stephanie calling me on the phone, and I remember her saying, I'll never forget this. She said, Lori, your daughter is in distress, and I think you need to bring her home. And I, I was like, distress. And she started talking to me about stuff that they had kind of shared that she could share with me. And I just, I just, as a parent, I just, um, I think that's why I want to have this conversation. And Adrian is my friend. We went to college together. I absolutely love her. I love her spirit. I love her character. I love her children. She is wonderful. And um, today I just want um, to have a conversation with her about um, her son, Jalen. And whatever she feels comfortable in kind of sharing, we're just kind of going to have that conversation about um, the effects of suicide in our family and um, how do we live beyond suicide, life beyond suicide, if that's even possible. What is the new normal and how, how, do, we, um, how do we process? And so um, this is my co-host today. Her name is Adrian Mathis. And she's from Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. Cleveland. I was born in Cleveland, so I guess I can rep <laughs> Cleveland, huh? Um, and we're just going to talk about her her wonderful son, Jalen. And so, Adrian, tell me about Jalen. 
So before I start, I do want to say I'm Jalen's mother, but this is not my story alone, right? Mm -hmm. Because Jalen has siblings, his father, and there are other people. So when I'm talking today, this is from my perspective. Talking from mom. I'm talking as a mom. Jalen is, he's a very loving young man, um, full of life, compassionate. He loved his friends. He loved to cook. He loved to dance. <laughs> he loved to help around the house. Had a very unique personality. Uh, he was funny. He was also, I think, searching. Mm-hmm. Trying to find out where he was going to fit in this world. So he dropped out of school in the 12th grade. It was during the pandemic. Uh, and that was that was tough. But he didn't, you know, like school. So that was his choice. He was the middle child. I had four boys and one girl, and he was in the middle. So I'm hoping I won't need those. I'm going to need them. (laughs) I'm hoping I won't need those. Um, So Jalen was a fabulous child. He was gifted and talented in dance, went to Fort Hayes High School. He was in a dance ensemble since the ninth grade. Mm -hmm. He danced for a momentum through, uh, they used to practice at Ballet Met. He loved to dance in a world where that kind of dancing was not typical for young black men. Mm -hmm. So So that had a stigma to it. That had a stigma to it, yeah. And so he stopped dancing after some time, even though it was his passion. He loved his siblings. He just was a very loving young man. I was looking at um, some, uh, again, looking at um, some rates of occupational groups where they, uh, where the CDC said that suicide rates were greater in these occupation, and um, arts is number three mm. on the list. Wow. The first one was construction. Um, one was installation and maintenance and repair, arts, design, entertainment, sports, media, mm-hmm. transportation, protective service, and, and health care support. Wow. So when you said arts, I was like, you know, that's, um, and just in art, there's just a stigma of of dancing. Mm-hmm. It meant it, it had a stigma, you're, you're a certain type of way because you're dancing. No, I just like to dance. He loved to dance, and he was very good at it. And I agree that there is this stigma, and art is an expression. Mm-hmm. It's the way you get out what you're feeling. It's a way you can express who you are to the world. Mm-hmm. So when he stopped doing that, I think there was a suppressing of who he was as a person. Mm-hmm. He wasn't as free to be who he was. And he did, like, hip-hop dance. He did... Um, my, I guess modern dance. He would do the ballet, but he was always, he always owned who he was as a dancer. Mm -hmm. Um, He was still very much 
uh, Jalen and everything that he did. So he brought his hip hop self. He brought his um, he loved rap, everything. So he brought that all to the table. Um, tell me about uh, sometimes people say um, suicide is connected to mental health. And some people say suicide is definitely not committed, not um, connected to mental health. Um, do you feel like there are some um, mental health challenges that a person might have that are maybe not seen? Like in this situation with um, my daughter, um, it was some signs that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think there were a lot of things that I also missed as well. So I would say this. I'm not a doctor and I cannot diagnose mental health. I love that. I think people, survivors of suicide, those who are left, we try to find answers. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we, we try to look for clues afterwards. Um, I will honestly say that prior to Jalen making his choice, because I believe it was a choice, I think he was in his right mind, if you will. He was the Jalen that I know. Mm -hmm. He may have been going through something, um, but I think there could have been some coping. Um, there could have been a, been a strategy that we uh, utilized. I had them in counseling. I had them in uh, mentoring programs. Mm -hmm. So I was building a support system around him. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but you got to remember, there was a lot of other stuff going on. George Floyd, our young men were being attacked in the streets. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to breathe. And so success was, was always on their backs. Like, what are you going to do with your life? But every time they would try to do something, there was an obstacle. And that was something my son was very big on. Like, why do I need to go to school? Why do I need to do it this way to be successful? Um, so I think more so the pressures of the world mm -hmm. falling on people. So as it relates to the mental health question, are you, did you say something? No. as it relates to the mental health question, I would say that it's very possible. I, I would say that there were two, about two and a half times that I thought there were glimpses of hopelessness because of the way he would speak about certain things. If I'd ask him if he was going to get a job, it, it would just be a hopeless response. Why would I get a job? I'm just going to, you know, lose it or it doesn't matter if I work. I just, he just wanted to sit home, be with his friends, play the game, things like that. So there were two glimpses of hopelessness. And one time, my son used to have dreadlocks. He cut his locks off. And it was very drastic. It was out of nowhere. And when I saw him, I was afraid. Like in my body, mm -hmm. the reaction was, this is not normal. There's something wrong. And so from that point on, I was really just trying to monitor him, trying to make sure, you know, trying to get him out of the house and things like that. But would I say that he was depressed around the house? Now, he was 19. 
he slept most of the day, <laughs> but he also stayed up all night playing a game. So it's this gray area where you really don't know. Because it's so normal for 19-year-old. It's normal for a 19-year-old. I'd have to say, uh, is that you? Uh, I need you to go shower because you smell like a horse. <laughs> it, but to me, it's like, oh, you just, you just rather you know, hang out and do this rather than take care of that. So hindsight is always twenty twenty. But I promised myself that I wouldn't look back and try to mm-hmm. point out things that I missed. I'm I'm not gonna do that. Um one of the things that I thought when Jalen completed suicide was he had made a decision. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was time. And if he hadn't have done it that time, it would have been the next time or the next. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so I have come to accept that, that I couldn't be everywhere that he was, that I couldn't change his mindset. I couldn't give him the hope that I had for his life. I couldn't do that. I think one of the things that you shared with me uh, when we were talking um, is that you said, I'm, where it wasn't glad, but I think it was sort of like you found comfort that he was around, he was with family. Oh, absolutely. He came back home. He was intentional. He came back home. He was in his room in a, in a space that he was comfortable with. Um, And really, it gave me solace afterwards, because can you imagine the mom who does not know where their child is, who um, they drive three states over and do something to themselves and the worry that would be there Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like, um, he really came back home to the place where he felt most comfortable in his own bedroom, and he was surrounded by his family. One of the uh, articles I think I was reading about was talking about uh, the black male and how um, it did mention George Floyd, and it just talked about um, just the feeling of hopelessness sometimes that, um, that, our, uh, that our black men feel. It, um, it, kind, of, um, it kind of took me... I think as a female, you kind of don't always think from a male perspective. So you don't think about all of the pressures that men have. And so one of the um, YouTube videos I was watching, it was a lady talking about her uncle who was an officer. Um, I think he was like in Indiana or Chicago, maybe. And he um, completed suicide. But his uh, video, he was talking about how he could no longer be an officer with the treatment that was happening um, to the black male and that was kind of um, I think even me and my husband were watching and he was like I mean we both kind of looked at each other like like wow that was deep um, I just think that it's not talked about in our community it's so counseling is so taboo in our community nobody wants you to know that they're they need to go to therapy or that they're having an issue and sometimes you know the uh, comment is check on your strong friends or your strong and sometimes I think um Faith kind of has a play in that as well. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I think in our faith, we are taught, you know, pray about it or, you know, God won't give you more than than you can bear. And Some of the things that we say when we're trying to be comforting to each other really is 
it's not helpful. And I, I think um, that's one thing that for a long time the faith community has missed the mark on is, you know, yeah, you can pray about it, but pray and see a counselor. You know, pray and take your medicine. Pray and do whatever you need to do. Um, because, you know, we we have prayer, we have God, but we have physical resources that we can use as well. And it's no discounting or lessening what God can do, but we have to take advantage of what we have here as well. Like he said, in all you're getting, get an understanding. And so, you know, use, use that wisdom. Um, and I think it's just recent that the church is welcoming these talks of counseling and mental health professionals, you know? And so I think when we were talking about like, especially a lot of the things that were happening last year, the year before, um, and that has been happening, you know, as a, as a black man, it, even when you go to therapy, number one, it's, it's trying to find a therapist who looks like you or who understands you, um, because the amount of therapists who are black is slim. The amount of therapists who are black males, is extremely slim. And, um, you know, when you look out and you see all these different things happening to black men, whether it be from outside forces like police and that sort of thing or inside forces like one another. Um, it, it's very traumatic. I tell people all the time, I think we deal with the highest level of undiagnosed PTSD, like the amount of killing and trauma that we see in our communities outweighs war zones. I mean, just thinking about uh, as a funeral director, just thinking about uh, the young people service that we have there in there. It's, it's the norm. Yeah. They're not, you know, it's it's not their first yeah. service. Um, it's it's almost like um it's almost like a ritual. It's like okay, we're gonna get the t shirts. We're gonna come absolutely. It's, like you talk to some of your white counterparts, and they're like, oh, I, my grandma passed, and this is my first time going to a funeral. It's like what? I've been going to funerals my whole life, like multiple a year. We, what do you mean? And it 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 weighs on us in ways that I think we don't realize, and you know, it it just. I don't know. I think it, I think it darkens the way we see life when things go wrong. Um, that you can be a normal, whatever that is, happy, upbeat person in just the circumstances of life. You see how drastic those circumstances has affected people around you to the point that you feel like you know there there is nothing else, or there is no turning that situation around because we we rarely see life turn around for the better for people so i'm gonna touch on that because i think that's definitely part of the problem it's that constant conflict for not and at this point it's not just african-american males it's females as Mm -hmm. well but um, there's a book that calls that's called the body keeps the score that talks about how i guess trauma impacts you or how microaggressions may just think about the number of things that That title that you that people go through that is systematic Mm -hmm. that is in place and there's like barely anything we can do to combat it and so that's the thing um Jalen went to he went to jail for something right after Thanksgiving um for something that uh, he he missed court. Mm. 
he he had a court date that he missed and he had gone to the hospital for a a injury that he had and when they let him out of the hospital the police were there to take him to jail so he spent from right after thanksgiving until around december 18th that's when he came home in jail because of missing a court date mm-hmm. so just think about that everything else you're going through and now you're in jail for three three weeks or so and you get out and you know that this is a system you know that you have a court date and if you miss a court date again it's like and and something that he said he didn't do so and he had gone through this in high school as well where they cleared him but if he wasn't at every court date Mm -hmm. then there was a problem so these this um structure uh, this system just compounds things for our young black men Mm -hmm. so if they don't do everything right if they don't get there, even though they didn't do it, then mm-hmm. they'll, you know, they'll go to jail and they got to pay bond. And if they can't pay bond, then they have to stay in jail. And mm-hmm. This compounds upon this and this and this. And they know that this system is not changing. So Absolutely. I think along with seeing counselors, which I think is definitely a strategy we do on top of our faith, we need to get help. We need to have a strategy for how we are going to balance all of that. But on top of that, the system needs to change. We can't continue to have a system that is targeting. Mm-hmm. Targeting. Absolutely. Because that's what makes the situation seem hopeless. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, I say all, all the time that black children don't have the ability to just be kids and learn those lessons like some of our counterparts I, we just don't because you will go to jail for doing the exact same thing that other I, people do and they're told hey you can't do this you, it, i was reading it, your story about black children so i'm stop i'm caught mm-hmm. i was reading about the statistics about young children who complete suicide mm-hmm. and one of the stories that we were watching um on youtube it was a documentary um the guy uh i think he was seven First grade. Mm. And he talked about being bullied in school. And he talked about um, racism. Seven. And so I just, I just, it it just became just a heavy burden of talking about, uh, about the effects that, you know, that we, we sometimes go through. What would you, sometimes we try to be supportive, but we don't actually get it right. Tell me, tell our audience something that you want people to not do. Because <laughs> I'm sure there's probably something that has happened that you're like, don't do that. So I would say don't expect a person to grieve the way you think they are supposed to grieve or mourn. Mm-hmm. Everybody's journey is their own. And so... If they are strong, if they bounce back quickly, if they, you know, are still grieving after a year or two or whatever the case may be, just support them. Just Mm -hmm. be there. Um, Don't say things like, um, oh, but that was a month ago, like like you're supposed to be over it already. Um, 
And then, for God's sake, if if I haven't talked to you in 20 years. Come on now. <laughs> and something happens in my life. And the first time I hear from you is because you want to know why. What happened. What happened. That's not okay. Like, if we weren't talking before then, don't reach out to someone and say what happened. Because you're just being nosy. Mm-hmm. You, you don't really care about what's happening in my life or we would have been in contact. So I think social media has kind of given people the understanding that you don't have to have tact and you can just ask whatever you want or assume whatever you want. And that's not OK. So I think those would be my top. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I appreciate that because I think sometimes we don't have the the quorum to actually, you know, people want to know what happened or they want you to retell the story and I think sometimes that's hard to keep retelling uh retelling the story. What advice would you give to a parent? What would you tell them to kind of in that in that um not in that moment but what do you think you've learned um, thus far on the journey that you would kind of say, you need to really do this, or this is one thing that I'm certain has helped me um, to even be able to sit here and do this podcast with you, Lori. So the one thing I would tell a parent is to love your children, love them, love them regardless of their troubles regardless of what they're going through, because there may come a day where you're not able to hug them anymore, to just talk to them and check on them. So do all you can every day, just every day, do all you can to love and support them. Um, I would also say you could, there are classes that you can take or kind of like mini courses that help you to try to identify signs of suicide that can kind of give you some, I would just call them, um, equip you with some strategies if you see something. But I want to be very clear that it may not be as easy to identify Mm -hmm. in your, you know, in your child. And I don't want anyone to take on guilt for something like that. We do the best that we can with what we have. So um, definitely you could take some of those courses and just be aware and kind of set an atmosphere that your child can come to you with anything. I think well, one of the things that were, uh, they were talking about was the uh, maybe the guilt or hopelessness or anger that sometimes uh, sets in or creeps in um, during uh as you're on the journey, I think uh, one of the uh, great things I think we have here in Columbus is loss. And I think um, they are an organization that kind of helps you on that journey to deal Absolutely. with those emotions or those, um, you know, that whole stigma of how you feel about um, what has happened. And so lost is a local outreach to suicide survivors. And what has been your experience with loss? Oh, wow. So loss has really walked me through the journey of just um, kind of accepting what I'm going through, giving me some sort of guidance that, 
you know, you may experience this, you may experience that dispelling some of the myths, mm-hmm. um, normalizing your journey, like the things that other people may not understand. Loss has really um, helped me to understand that it's normal for someone who has been through this level of trauma. It's normal. Other people may not understand it, but in loss, you're in a group with other people who have a similar type of loss. Do you feel like people treat treated you treat, treat you different? Do you feel they're? Um, it's almost like um, I hate to compare it to that, but it's almost like when you divorce, people have to feel like they have to pick sides, mm-hmm. or they just kind of they don't want to invite you to such and such because they feel. Do you feel? Do you feel that, or have you felt that? I definitely feel like people. They try to treat it as taboo, right? I have no shame Mm -hmm. about Jalen's choice. So it may be taboo in your eyes, but for me, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. That's deep, Adrian. So, you know, for the long, you know, when it first happened and I was there when Jalen made his choice, I was there. I had sat and talked with him for about 10 minutes before he actually completed so those last, I was with my baby in his last moments. And so when it first happened, I almost blocked those memories out. And I said, the devil is a liar. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reclaim this time with my son. And I remember it now. Mm-hmm. I remember his last moments. And so it's taboo to other people. They don't know what to say. But what, what I try to communicate to people is it's death by another name. Mm-hmm. People deal with death all the time. It's the way society has painted suicide that we act like it should be whispered or, you know, that's that's a dirty little secret. It's not something you talk about. That's mm-hmm. That's not who I am. And nobody is going to shame me to not remembering my child because part of telling your story is part of your healing it's part of your um your mourning is that you you tell your story so people can't handle it that's not my problem i was uh listening to a podcast and the abc um it it was a abc uh host whose husband or ex-husband um, completed suicide and she had her twin daughter on the podcast and she said in the link I'm going to link her Facebook page um, comment because they were trying to they were reading it on there and your comment just kind of brought me to that and I'm just want to read a, a snippet of it it says depression is a disease just like cancer suicide kills people with depression just as cancer kills those with cancer A person who dies from their battle with mental illness is not weaker than a person who loses their battle with cancer. Dying by suicide is no more selfish or stupid than somebody dying by cancer. Not everyone who commits suicide is depressed, just like not everyone who is depressed commits suicide. There are too many complex factors that contribute to this. Again, to make the parallel to cancer, not everyone who smokes gets lung cancer, and not everyone who with lung cancer smokes. And so um, she concludes, it was, it's kind of long, but she concludes about, um, you know, about her father and uh, about the choice that he made and how, um, you know, society kind of makes it taboo. But 
She says, unfortunately, I think we will learn soon that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in this country. So statistically, it's very likely that they will know someone who completes suicide in their lives. It's more common than what's talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's by design that it's left as this mystery, as this taboo thing. But there are statistics that says that it's not as uncommon as people think. Right. I think, what did you tell me when we were talking? Did you say one in 12? One, one, one every, 12 is minutes? it 12 minutes? It's one every 12 minutes. And when you think about that, you're like, whoa. And before Jalen, did you have, um, know any, any, uh, family members or, uh, friends who, um, you supported who, I was trying to think about that and I can't think of anyone directly uh, connected with me. However, when my son was going to college, he was going to Bowling Green and they actually had to talk about it there because there were so many suicides there. Mm -hmm. When he was there, they had like, support groups for it because I think that year they had had six Mm -hmm. of their students um, complete suicide so um, no no one directly close to me we had a um, family that I'm actually still very close with her um, with with the mother um, who when we first opened the funeral home he was 12 and I just remember um, just uh, kind of walking her through you know, trying to support her as best I could because I thought me being the funeral director, she's not going to want to still stay connected to me. But in some way, I think maybe I'm, you know, she feels like I was the last one to care for her baby. So she has even moved to Houston. But just even this past Mother's Day weekend, the text came from her to tell me that she was thinking about me. And I was kind of like, wow, that's super sweet. Um, But just watching um, her go through the journey um, and just um, it is it's not it's it's organizations like Lost that are um, there to kind of help mm-hmm. to make sure that, um, you know, like you say, that it is normal, that it is OK. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the beauty that when I was researching Lost, I think one of the things I think is wonderful is that you are not talking to someone who hasn't had your experience. And sometimes you need to have someone who. You, it's like you're seeing someone who 20 years and you see them, it kind of gives you some hope like, okay, I, I can see a little bit beyond this that, you know, mm-hmm. um, the organization is started by a mother whose son was 19 um, who completed suicide. So I think that, I just think that there is, is hope. And I think um, Adrian, you are, I, I know you're tired of people calling you the strong person, but I just, um, your strength through this journey has just been um, remarkable. I just have watched, even if I'm creeping on Facebook, but I'm friends, I can pick up the phone and call. So <laughs> Absolutely. I, don't have, I don't have to creep on Facebook. And you do. You pick up the phone and call. <laughs> I don't have to creep on Facebook. But I just, I'm just like, I, um, I just love you and I appreciate you sharing the story about Jalen. Um, what do you think, um, I don't know if people know, um, Jalen was able to save some lives. Absolutely. And so would you, do you mind talking about that? Sure. Um, he, 
uh, went well, we chose Lifeline of Ohio, and he was an organ donor. And they took five organs, and I got to see if I can remember. It was his liver, um, I think kidney. Uh huh. I think you told me that. Lungs, mm-hmm. and I'm missing one. I forgot it too. Uh, heart. Oh, right. Heart. Right, right, right. Um, so. Those organs were able to go to five different people all over. I'm not sure the location. Um, So in his death, he was able to potentially save five lives. And I was very proud. He is our hero um, for, you know, that opportunity for him. How do you think your family has been strengthened through this? No, that's kind of a crazy question. But what do you think um, has I think this experience has taught us to really love on one another more and to um, just support, have an understanding ear, um, and to really, I guess, be aware Mm -hmm. of what's going on in people's lives. And um, I think mainly it's love love your loved ones today. As best you can, don't go to sleep angry. Like all of the things that, you know, that we try to do ahead of this mm-hmm. sort of um, trauma, tragedy, but it, there's a heightened awareness of it after something like this happens because nothing is too big. Nothing is so egregious that you just shouldn't talk to somebody. Nothing, because they could be gone tomorrow. It's just that we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Um so I do little things. I have Jalen's urn on my dresser. Um, I mean, on my with his uh, picture. Yeah, with his picture, his ashes. I say good morning. You know, I have his a shirt that we wore with the celebration of life, and it's hanging up in the closet. So it's kind of height uh, appropriate. So I hug the shirt. You know, there are things that I do. Um, I post a picture of Jalen every day because we're not going to forget him. Um, I told we are my husband that I said, Adrian, she might not write it on the outside, but did I tell? I told him I said every day she's going. It's going to be a, a story. It's going to be a picture, and it doesn't even have words. It's always a picture, and you just make up your. I'm like, I just make up my own memory of it. I said, Oh, yeah. I think that was her at church, or I, I'd make up my own memory because I yeah. just I find comfort in that myself. Because in my small way, I'm like, Adrian's, she's okay. Yeah. And I, that's, I don't want to text you every day, but if I see her post a picture, I'm like, my girl's all right. Yeah. I know it's kind of weird, my own re- weird, creepy Facebook self, but that's what I do. <laughs> I know, she thinks I'm weird. <laughs> but I, am, I want to introduce, um, I want to introduce Karen. So I think, um, Art, I think I'm going to switch you off. And let Miss Karen come because I want yes. her to talk about loss. Yes. I want Adrian and her to talk about the group sessions and kind of get people to know that there are um, avenues of help and comfort and um, support. And so uh, this is Miss Karen. And Miss Karen, you're going to have to introduce yourself, honey, because all I know is Miss Karen. And I want you to tell <laughs> all the fabulous things about you yourself. So you just tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I would love that. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for asking me. And is it loud enough for you to it hear? It is loud enough. I can hear great. Okay. Um, I'm Karen Austin, and I am 
a facilitator, facilitator at LOSS. I facilitate two support groups a year. There are 10 weeks. 10 weeks, okay. So it's 20 weeks a year. And that's how Adrian and I met. Wow. Um, I've been with LOSS, let's see, this is 2022. So LOSS was founded in 2014. I got involved in 2015. Oh, wow. And what brought you to LOSS? I lost my brother to suicide. Wow. Okay, see, I talked about how the beauty of um, having someone. And you talked about seeing models, people who have been around for a while, Mm -hmm. giving models to people like Adrian. Mm -hmm. My brother died in 1979. I did read you on the, I did, I did. You were on there because I think I was reading and I said, oh, wow. Uh Uh, There are two of us, um, Glenn and I both. um, So we have a, a board of directors. I've been uh, I've been on the board. I'm now the chair of the board for a few more days. We're switching leadership. <laughs> and countdown, um, are we? <laughs> yes, I must stay. I must stay. Don't do this work. Um, Glenn's grandmother died. Glenn is another board member and another facilitator. And his grandmother died the same year my my brother died. Wow. So when I first heard about loss, um, it was it was like random. It was I heard. Um, it was a Facebook post. Denise, who started Loss, was looking for someone to write a newsletter. I write. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered. Within two hours, she said, do you want to be on the board? I said, yes. <laughs> and, and we've been doing this work ever since. There was nothing like this. Mm-hmm. In 1979, mm-hmm. no, I was just a casserole. And mm-hmm. are you better yet? Mm-hmm. And if there had been something like Loss, um, Adrian mentioned the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And you know this in your line of work, grief lives in the body. Absolutely. It doesn't live up here. You can't think your way through it. Absolutely. And so people come to us broken. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie Graham, who is Denise's husband, who Denise who started the organization, talks about suicide as like you're in the shower and then all of a sudden there's a shark in the shower and it rips your arm off and you can't figure out how that shark got in your shower and you know that arm's never going to grow back and you can't breathe. Mm. And that's how people come to us. Mm-hmm. And they come at many different times. They come early like Adrian did and they come late. I was reading uh, Robbie's blog and I, uh, what caught my attention was he was saying, you know, I was supporting my wife at first and then it was time for, it was then... I felt the grief as a stepfather. And so I was like, you know, um, I was thinking about the fact that um, Adrian's recently married. And I think that it's awesome that Bryce goes with her. I think um, even when I was watching the service online, I was like, you know, you'd be eyeballing. I'm like, he's sitting right behind her. Uh, he got up. I think I was kind of like, I, he was auditioning. He didn't know. I was like, are you going to take care of my friend? So I was like, I just watched all of the, how endearing he was. And when she told me he was going to counseling, I was like, he's a keeper. That, that is what you need to kind of get through this. And so I, yeah. I think quite, awesome. quite often when men show up in support group, it's because they're supporting their wives. Mm-hmm. But we see them heal too. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think sometimes they don't know if they don't know that they had, you know, and sometimes grief isn't just from that. Sometimes you have some other stuff that while you're in there, you hear some and it helps you to heal something that you didn't know was already broken. I don't want to call anybody out, but there's been somebody in the group who's been talking about that. That is very close to Adrian. Yes. Girl, I listen. <laughs> it definitely has happened for him. Honey, I listen. I Sometimes I'm even sitting in a service and they'll say something that I'm like. 
I didn't even know that that was an area yeah. that I, you know, that I need to improve on or get better. I just watching um, just when you were talking about loving your family members and being intentional. I think sometimes when you see services where people they didn't have a good relationship or something has gone wrong and mm-hmm. they don't have that chance to actually. So um, just the fact that you said that was wonderful. What what um, key thing do you think? What is the if you wanted to tell someone about loss? What would you want them to really know um, is a key component? Like, this is who this is this, this is who, is who we, are. we are. So we hear about suicide prevention all the time. Um, loss is based on a postvention model. Postvention. Okay. So, when a suicide happens in a community, um, and I'll tell you a number in a second, um, there's an increased chance that another one's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. When Denise lost her son, Dre, in 2012, she, you know, she came out of it a little while later and, and, and she said, there's nothing for someone like me. Mm-hmm. When someone dies by suicide, they used to say, when I first started at loss, there was a number, it was um, eight. Eight people were affected when there was a suicide. And I used to think, Where'd that number come from? <laughs> but it had been reported in the media for years and years and years. And then there was a new study done in 2016, I believe, by the University of Kentucky. And that study came up with a number that was a little more believable, which was 135. Mm-hmm. So you think about, in Jalen's case, classmates, mm-hmm. friends. It's probably an even way bigger number than that. Mm-hmm. And they're all affected incrementally at different in different ways. So it might be way out here, or it might be right next door if we were not in COVID and had that limited number of tickets just uh from her sorority alone Uh Uh uh-huh it would have been past 135 exactly so so that what happens you talked about the five five in 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 ohio in a day and it's one every five hours Mm. i I read the two of two of those same statistics um think of five times 135 a day mm-hmm. and how many people are affected. So, so we exist to be an installation of hope for the people that are left behind by suicide and to help them thrive rather than just survive. So when you go through the 10 weeks, can you go again? Anytime you want to. Okay. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. you go through, you know, is this, can you start over if you want? We've had lots of people do that, especially people who come early. Can I see your book? Adrian? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Oh, this book. Yeah. This, this book. So, um, Loss is based on a, a model that is um, curriculum. Like our, our support groups are based on a curriculum. And so everybody gets the book. Uh-huh. And some people never open the book. And then they come back the next time and they're like, I read the book this time. Because <laughs> they've got some healing. Uh-huh. And then they, so they're not ready to open the book. Right. They're not ready to open it. We've had people throw the book across the room. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, but that I would say that, that this, this is a postvention based model, and you don't hear about postvention very often. No, and and I think uh, uh, loss goes to the. Do you you go on site? Yeah, sometimes, yes. So we work directly with the coroner's office, and we have a group of trained volunteers who, when the coroner's office activates us and says there's been a suicide, and the coroner's office decides, you know. If it's safe, mm-hmm. then they bring in loss. And there are always at least two. Um, at least one of them is a survivor. Most of the time, they're both survivors. Mm-hmm. And they're just there to 
hand someone a bottle of water and to say, you're not alone. There's a whole community of us out here. Mm -hmm. And we hand them some materials and then we follow up with them and we follow up with them and we follow up with them. (laughs) Adrian, is that right? Oh, absolutely. I got the information from a number of different uh, resources. It was sent in the mail through the funeral home. I think uh, I got something else through Lifeline of Ohio, where Mm -hmm. they give you the Franklin County resources and losses listed on there. So I feel like now survivors of suicide are well supported. I mean, I know. Well, there's opportunity for them to be, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think I'm... uh do you think, I think um, even Ms. Karen mentioned this about having um, uh, having more uh, people who actually are African-American in, in the support groups, whereas maybe they f- maybe we feel like it's no longer taboo and that we recognize we need some help mm-hmm. and that this is, uh, you know, a crisis or, you know, an epidemic or something that we need to really be dealing with as a community because what Ms. Karen said about it affecting um, 135 people, just think about that in in your com- in the community. Absolutely. Um, just the devastation that it happens and just having to be able to, um, you know, live life beyond that. What, um, what do you think, um, I was, one of the uh, articles I was reading is, um, no, 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 no. It was a video on loss. And the lady was talking about how, she went to a support group and she realized the timing wasn't right and that uh, it just wasn't the type that she, uh, you know, she wasn't uh, ready for it or it just didn't match what she was. What makes a good support group? What, um, how did you know of this? this I'm, I'm liking this. What what was it that you're like, this is this is working for me? Well, had you tried any other ones? So I actually started one online that the funeral home sent me a link where you could go through some curriculum online, but I had trouble viewing the, I think they may have had videos. I couldn't see them. So that, that wasn't working out for me, but I did start it. I attempted it. Uh Um, I'm more of a people person Mm -hmm. because loss actually has a zoom that you could do as well. Uh But I I needed to be in the room with people because there were there were people in the room that could benefit from what I knew. That's the way I feel. Like so we're all getting healed in here. We're sh- we're sharing experiences and we are healing each other along the path. Mm-hmm. So um the group meshed together cuz people we were there to be helped. Mm-hmm. We I, I don't think most of us came in and, and just doubted that it would help us, but we came in looking for help. And so we either read or we contribute to the discussion and we relate it to one another. And so, I mean, I love the group. That's awesome. <laughs> I really do. It's not easy to walk in that room. That first oh, night is not that easy. That first night. Oh, no, I think, uh, I think uh, the, on, the, on the video I was watching, she said, you know, me and my husband, we sat in the car for a minute before we, we got out. We we yeah. had to think about, you know, we had to take those first steps and it was, you know, it was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Because yeah. I think maybe it goes back to maybe you where even though you know you're going to loss, mm-hmm. you still have that stigma or the, 
you know, are the, you know, you feel maybe you did you feel or was it just you don't want to what what made that so part of what made the first night challenging is that there's we talk about our person. Okay. So that's what it is. That's what's the hardest night. Yeah. Okay. Everybody gets an opportunity to talk about their person. Okay. I think, um, you know, when we are making arrangements at the funeral home, before I even start the arrangements, I always start with, tell me about your, tell me about your person, because I want to know. And I find that sometimes it's difficult with some people around the table can't talk about their person or the tears start and they kind of have to, because I don't think they were ready for me to ask that. I think they thought I was just like, okay, what color you want? But I, I want to connect with them. I want to know about your person because your person's special to you and I want to hear about them so that I can connect in that way. So We've had people go through entire groups and never speak. doesn't happen very often. But there are just some people who aren't ready exactly. And that's okay. You said, and it's okay. We don't make them. Right, right. Well, I want... Do you want to read where Lost is? Or you already need to have the address? You want to tell them the address and phone number? You know, I can't even remember the address. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's on Riverside Drive across from Griggs. <laughs> so I'm going to bring my glasses. Can Here, I can that? do it. I can do it. <laughs> so the, the website is lost, L-O-S-S-C-S dot org. Yes. And the number is 614-530-8064. Um, and I will uh, put a link in the show notes so that you can uh, connect with them um, in the community. They are a community of hope. And I hope that today's uh, podcast has brought you hope and that you've learned something uh, about how to support um, survivors of suicide. Thank you, Adrian, for sharing Jalen with us. Thank you for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ms. Karen, for coming to talk about loss. Um, thank you to my husband for producing another awesome podcast. And to my co-host, who I think he ran to a second job. <laughs> um, thank you to Art Davis. Thank you again. Uh, make it a great day. Well, that's our time. And we look forward to our next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate our audience. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Play Store, or wherever you consume podcasts. If you feel so inclined, leave us a comment. But please be sure to share this episode in your circle of influence. Until the next episode, I'm Lori Diaz, the Funeral Chick. Remember to serve well and have fun. Make it a great day. <laughs>